Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and I'd like to welcome the host, Ian Cron. Ian, how are you doing? I am remarkably well. Hey, we were just in uh, Dallas. Let's talk about that. Well, that was a great 24 hours, wasn't that it? It was, yeah. You and I, my son Aiden, we went out to Dallas so that I could do a live podcast with the minimalists. Yeah, man. Our friends Josh and Ryan. Um, Love those guys. I do too. What a fun night. It was. We were at the Improv yep. in Dallas, Texas. Yep. From a couple of hundred people. Uh, and they interviewed me for yeah. about 45 minutes. Yeah. And we just had a, I mean, this the room was buzzy and it was a really, really fun night. And It really was, yeah. It was really the first stop on, an early stop on a tour for my new book. Come on, let's talk about it. Hold let's it up. <laughs> right, so this is, by the way, the uncorrected proof. It's right. in soft cover because it's a galley. It's called a galley. And um, this goes out to, you know, major publications for reviews and uh, different people that we hope will dig it and talk about it. But, so it will be in hardcover and much fancier. However, yes, the story of you, an Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. It drops on December 28th, but you can pre-order it now yes. on Amazon, which I encourage people to do. Yep. I am so pumped for people to get their hands on this book and to start this new chapter of conversations. And you can great. go to ianworkingcron.com slash the story of you as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, can you give just a little primer on what it's about? Yeah, you know, um, here's the sort Cause of. Because I'm pumped about this, by the way. I mean, I've I've actually been able to read the book. I'm super excited about it. So, so I here's a premise for you. Yeah, you know, um, I think all of us live in stories, mm -hmm. right? All of us has a narrative or a story we tell ourselves about who we are, right? And who we tell others who we think we are, mm -hmm. right? We really acquire this story as a little person, yeah, right, and. That story actually comes to define us, mm -hmm. and it actually, in many ways, shapes our personality. Right. Right? We act out of it sometimes knowingly and many times unknowingly. Yes. Yeah. Now, the problem is, mm -hmm. in this broken world, is that many of us end up in broken stories. Right. And those broken stories may have helped us as little kids to understand what was happening to us, mm -hmm. but it's so sad. Some people bring early childhood, broken, mistaken stories about who they are, mm. what their value is, about what the world is like into adulthood. Right. They never get rewritten. Right. right? They never get edited. Right. They just drag them with into adulthood and they're, they're trapped in, in the wrong narrative. It, mm. it distorts their, it makes them unhappy. It distorts their personality. It, 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 I've seen people stuck in bad stories mm. That has ruined their lives. Right. Yeah. It's ruined their lives. Yeah. And so what I'm excited about is when I get to tell a person, you know, you don't have to stay in that old story. Right. It's broken. Yeah. Right. You can, you have the freedom to rewrite the narrative of your life. Now, that is so exciting to now, me. Now, here's the kicker. Yeah. I think that the nine Enneagram types... Yes, they are personality types. Mm -hmm. And I would say that they're nine stories mm. that, that people acquire as little people, right? Mm -hmm. And live in without any sort of knowledge uh, that some of it is not going to work for you. And now, so w what argument would you say? Because I know you have one to people that say only nine stories. Yeah. So... You know, in literary criticism, it's interesting. Yeah. There's a very thick book. It must be 1,300 pages. It's uh -huh. called The Seven Basic Plots. I mean, in literature and film, critics, right? I mean, literary critics, yeah. highly educated people, many of them would say there's only seven basic plots in all of literature. Yeah. Right? Every book you've ever read, every movie you've ever watched. Yeah. yeah. There are tragedies. There are comedies. There are romantic comedies, right? There's right. drama, whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, by the way, when you watch a romantic comedy, you know how it's going to roll. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't stop you from watching it. <laughs> That's right. Right? You, yeah. you know that, that different stories have different runs. Yeah. And so, you know, th it's not a surprise that maybe there are nine stories, but let me put it how I would say it would be this way. Yeah. 
These nine stories appear so often in the human population that we should pay attention to them. That's good. I don't know if they're the only nine stories. All right. I know is that you see them so often that we should, mm. you know, take them seriously. And, and so, look, I'm not saying that your personality type is wrong. What I'm saying is, is that pretty much everybody lives in a broken story. Right. The Enneagram can help you find out what that yeah. story is and how you can rewrite it. And the cool thing is this book helps illuminate the broken story that you're in. Yes. And how to rewrite your story. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yes. And so, you know, I, uh, we have a little model in the book. It's called SOAR. And mm -hmm. I know some people hate acronyms. I hate acronyms. But here's the deal. I've learned from 12-step recovery that acronyms can save your life. Okay? Right. Like we have one in 12-step halt, right? Right. Don't get hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Uh-huh. Right? I just, you know, yeah. that's a great little reminder to me. Yeah. So SOAR is C. Mm -hmm. And to C is to kind of look back at your story. Mm -hmm. Like, where did it come from? What would I name it, right? What, what is the old story? Like, yeah. see it, right? Right. And then the second is own it. And, and what that is, is just own what it's done to you, mm. right? Just see the cost of the story. Gosh, that's good. And then the next one is awaken, mm -hmm. right? And, and awaken is like, man, you know, um, again, it's, it, it involves the cost. It's, 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 just beginning to have your eyes opened to yeah. these new possibilities. Rewrite is when you can say, all right, how do I unwind those parts of my story that are dragging me down? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That are dragging me down. And, um, I love what Mo Willems, the author says that, that I love this. He says, if you find yourself living in the wrong story, leave, leave. <laughs> you know, That's so good. And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm so excited for people to get their hands on the book and, and yeah. learn about, yeah, man, I could live in a new story. And that's the exciting thing is when you tell people that they look at you a little sideways and they go, wait a minute, you mean I'm that's not right. like fated yeah. or destined yeah. to live in this old story? That's like right. I just thought, what can I do about it? Nothing. It's just how, how things happened. It's like what got done to me. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no. Right. right? That's right. You, you, you have the right. <clears throat> if, you, if you've been playing the victim or the martyr your whole life, you know, you can recast yourself as the hero of that Come story. Come on. I love that. Well, so, uh, again, we want to remind people to go to ianmorgancron.com forward slash the story of you. That's right. Hold it up there. Take a look at it for those of you on video. Um, and we have some more exciting things about the book that we're going to be rolling out in the weeks to come. But today we have a guest. Let's talk about our guest. Man, Kerry Newhoff. We love that guy, don't we? I love Kerry Newhoff. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Kerry is a, runs a very successful business, um, digital content business. He's a wonderful human being. He's been on the show before. Mm -hmm. And um, today we got to talk. This is launch day for his new book called At Your Best. Yes. Right? And um, But we, we had a really interesting conversation on the front end right yeah we we for a long time have wondered is he a really an eight because he says he's an eight right because he smells so often like a three yeah he has so much three energy yeah and the last time we spoke to him we got off of that conversation and thought for sure he's a yeah not for sure he's a three but man i we don't felt know. pretty confident well we just were like i don't know yeah right and so today we start off having a typing interview where it's like okay well let's let's ask some questions that might help us hone in and yeah. i love it when we do this because it helps people see the nuance involved in the Enneagram, and yeah. it, it helps people do, um, that we might have people who don't know if they're a three or eight. We yeah. may, we may. it just also helps people also, it models for people, well, what kinds of things would I do in helping people figure out their type, That's right? That's right, yeah. So on and on and on. It's a and great conversation. And then it's a process to figure out your number is oh, a yeah. process. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's overlap yeah. between types. That's right. right? And, yeah. you know, we, I think, came to a pretty good conclusion about where he is. And, and that doesn't mean, we always tell people, you're all nine types. So don't be surprised if features of another type show That's up right. in your type, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so anyway, it is a fun interview. Are you ready to get to it? Let's do it. All right, everybody. This is my friend, Carrie Newhoff. Wow. Carrie Newhoff, welcome back to Typology, friend. So good to be back, man. I always love our conversations, Ian and Anthony. It's good to be with you. Good to see you. Well, you know, you've got two towers of balloons behind you and i was wondering if i was interviewing bob goff or carrie newhoff today and so i'm just curious what's what's happening in your your house there well you know you'd think it was a birthday but it's actually the day we're recording this is launch day for my new book at your best and uh 
so my team did this. Uh, I had a few people. We, we lead a remote company, but um, drove up from Toronto, brought some balloons. We had a little uh, little party for the team who are distributed all over North America. And uh, yeah, so it's a celebration day. Really, really proud of the team. Very thankful to get, as you know, as an author, get the message out into the world and hoping it helps a lot of people. Amen, brother. Well, uh, so you had a celebration. What did that include? Um, so what we did today was we had a little champagne toast and it was oh, a lot of fun. Minute. Wait a minute, Anthony. <laughs> they had a champagne toast. I'm just wondering... Could this conversation go sideways? Lord, I hope. <laughs> very quickly. Very quickly, Ian. We'll get some I, stuff I out of Carrie we haven't been so able to you before. You'll be there to stuff. intervene and, right. and, uh, and help me out. Yeah, a little champagne toast. I'll tell you, when I was in law, like it was only a year, but there were lawyers who would just go out and they would really, let's put it this way, enjoy themselves. Mm. At lunch, I tried that like once or twice and I'm like, I'm asleep at my desk at two o'clock. This is not going to work. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully you, not a practice. hopefully you won't fall asleep mid-interview, but we're, we're no, gonna, we're good. We're going to have a good time here. We're going to discuss your new book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working for You. But first, my friend, I want to return to a conversation we had on our last show. Uh-oh, I think I know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> so you, and really for quite some time, have identified as an eight. Mm-hmm. And when you were on the show with your, your wife, Tony. Immediately after that conversation, Anthony and I looked at each other and, and we said, you know, Carrie kind of smells a lot like a three who has mistyped as an eight. Hmm. And then when I, when I read your book, At Your Best, How to Get Time, Energy and Priorities Working for You, I, I kind of began to even think more like it's possible you're a three who mistyped as an eight. So I was hoping, and we're going to talk about your book. But oh, just, listen, let's let's go down that road. I've I mean, been thinking I'm about wrong, this I'm all wrong. morning, by the way. Have you really? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. What glad. was that, Anthony? I said I'm I've been thinking about this all morning, the same thing, reflecting on our so last conversation. So you're thinking I've mistyped myself. Possibly. Possibly. Now, you know it's a ground rule here that we never tell people their type, right? We, we, mm-hmm. We're just going to maybe probe around, ask some questions. And what's so helpful about these conversations for our folks is lots of people mistype and certain types, you know, do it with other types more than others. And um, so it's really great, great for people to see and listen to a typing interview where, you know, we're just poking around and um, trying to see the difference. And I just want to say at the, at the front end that threes and eights often mistype with each other. Okay. okay. Because here's why. Both threes and eights appear very confident and both like to get things done. That's number That's one. That's fair. Both like to take charge. They're take charge types and they can, when they're not very healthy, roll over people who stand in the way of their goals, right? Now, hmm. that's not a three or an eight that's very self-aware. I'm just describing how maybe one who's not very healthy might act, okay? Or would act at sure. 21 or two, three, four, five, right? Um, both threes and eights like to be respected. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, but, but for different reasons. And, and also they can feel a little agitated when they feel like they haven't been respected. Right. Okay. So, Very fair. so this is, I'm hoping going to be, I'm checking all the boxes here. So okay. I'm like, yes, yes okay. to all of the above. Okay. So, so right away, we know that, uh, you are a three or an eight, right? And mm-hmm. you, you resonate with the ways that the three and eight can, can kind of misidentify these because they have overlap, right? They do have some overlap. So let me ask you a couple of questions. The first thing I want to ask you is briefly, just Tell me again about your dad and your relationship with him, because that was something that we spoke about oh, yeah. on the show, and it kind of went up as a, as a flag for me. And if you had to guess what his number was, I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. But let's just talk about your relationship with him. So, yeah. So to answer the easy question, because uh, I did go out and buy your book for my family, including my father. My father would say he's a seven. Oh. My mom would say she's a one, mm-hmm. and I have two grown sons who identify as sevens. So, mm-hmm. after a lot of discussion, so that's kind of interesting. Um, but my relationship with my dad, so he's eighty-one. Um, we're close. I love him. He's a good man. He has a good heart. 
Uh, I would say when you think back to my childhood, he was an immigrant. So if there's a wound, you know, and often our type is identified with a wound. Um, he was hustling really hard to provide for four kids under the age of five, comes to a country, doesn't know the language. He's from Holland. Um, did a bunch of stuff, like everything from drive a milk truck or bread truck to uh, backbreaking landscaping, and then got into this apprenticeship as like tool and mold. So tool and mold maker, works with his hands on machines. So he produced the metal part that you'd pour plastic into and out would pop a taillight for a car or that kind of thing. So that's the work he was in. And then he worked a lot of hours. So I'm a firstborn and three younger sisters, all within five years of each other. So it was a busy house. My dad wasn't around a lot. And I would say if there was a sadness in my childhood, it was not spending enough time with him. Mm. And then there was um, that equation that came out of my childhood. Because, you know, when you've got four fairly loud kids vying for attention and control, I would say to a certain extent, there was a sense that you want to be heard. And there definitely is a performer aspect to my personality mm. you know so i would i would equate success love with performance mm -hmm. so that was something that i i found as well i also i also had it's funny because you know i identify when you think and i'm not trying to recast myself as an eight but just being being transparent about it i had a pretty violent temper when i was a kid mm -hmm. um really big temper and if somebody threatened me or if they, you know, came onto my turf, I, I would like, I got into fistfights in elementary school, um, kind of that, that fear of vulnerability, fear of being known, fear of anyone treading on me. Now, I've done a lot of work, a lot of therapy, a lot of growth, a lot of healing. And so that rarely surfaces anymore, but that whole idea of like, I don't want to be controlled, but I also want to perform. I also, you know, good grades matter. It's book launch day. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't tracking where it was charting on Amazon. Um, and, and it feels good to be doing very well. We're very pleased with this launch, but I don't know that it's devastating or like I have to lie about it. If it didn't go well, if it didn't, if it didn't go well, I don't have to cover it up. I don't have to tell stories. So anyway, but I'm, I'm getting off track, but that's a little bit about my relationship with my dad. Okay. So I just remember last time we spoke, there were, there was some, there were some tears that came up when we spoke about your dad and I was just, I just wanted to poke around and, and find out what, what that was about. Um, so you've been in therapy. Can, can you just tell me what was, what would you say was a central issue for you that had to be worked on in therapy? Oh, there's a bunch. Um, I'm going back a couple of decades. What would you call it? Emotional health. Um, I was so busy with outside stuff. So dominant. I, I, okay. One of the things we definitely had to deal with was a domineering presence in my key relationships it wasn't fully like people wouldn't say it was my way or the highway but i had a way of like getting my way how did you do and, it i mean so for mm -hmm. example did it like um when you want something were you someone who used persuasion negotiation helping the other people to see what was in it for them you know what i mean like this is the All outside the for you or All were you above. just like i don't really care i'm gonna do it like, you know, I'm just going to... Oh, that too. And actually, if, if all of the above didn't work, it was, well, screw you, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but your first impulse was, let me just try and persuade you. Let me try and negotiate. Let me help you see the reason that this is a good thing for everybody. It's a win-win. Yeah, I mean, I am a trained attorney, right? So we're pretty good at the art of persuasion. And Nine times out of 10, I could probably navigate it that way. And then when it didn't work, I would just do it anyway. Okay. See, okay. So normally the three's default, the eight is to, okay, let me just persuade and let me sometimes charm and kind of get you to see the, the reasoning here and, you know, get you on board, hmm. that sort of a thing. The eight is not really concerned about that. It's kind of like out the door. It's no, we're doing this. You know what I mean? Like it's, ah, it's, okay. it's pretty, 
It's a lot more aggressive. They would start with where you went to in your last resort. Yes. Right. Ah, okay. okay. So they would flip it. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay. a three will do the same thing. What happens to the three is that persuasion, negotiation, bargaining, and, and those tools don't work to get what they want. Um, they will sometimes roll over someone who stands between them and the goal. So that's the three's last sort of resort thing, but that's what they tend to do. The eight will do it much faster, much earlier in the process than a three will. Okay, so let me tell you this story, which I doesn't, hasn't really made it outside our family circle, but this is an example of like me at 17. So we're driving to Washington, D.C. It's the Reagan era, okay? So there's no Google Maps. There's no any of that. And we're navigating on this map I, um, and my mom says, this is just emblematic of like trying to raise me and please pray for my parents. They had a hard time sometimes, <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're driving, trying to find the white house on Pennsylvania Avenue. So I'm navigating in the passenger seat and I've got the address and, uh, I'm like, okay, it should be right here. And they're like, well, that's not the white house. And I'm like, no, I, but I'm sure it's right there. And so they're like, yeah, but that's not the White House. So we circled around. You know how that goes pre-GPS. You don't know exactly where you are compared to the map. And finally, I just got so frustrated. I just said to my parents, well, that's it. Then they moved it. I know I'm right. You're wrong. Like, and, and my mom is like, that was your childhood. You were just always right. Didn't matter what we could say. And so I have therapied and prayed me out of that position most days on my good days. But that is my default nature. That is, no. You're wrong. I'm right. Get lost. Okay. Were you a sensitive kid? Hmm. Once you got in, yes. And I would hide it. So I was very easily hurt and offended. Um, but I wouldn't let you see it. Okay. So it if you knew me, you might find me in the corner wincing, but it would be brave face and then go cry in the corner after. Okay. So... And by the way, eights do that, but so do threes. Threes, no matter what's happening, no matter how bad things are, a three will project an image of confidence, coolness. We're going to take care of this, right? Mm. Um, so, and they'll, you know, maybe have feelings a little bit about it offline, right? Mm -hmm. it, but they're not going to show they're flustered. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's all good, man. It's all good. We got this, you know? Um, do you like practical results or huge results? Hmm. Can you define a little more? Because I like them both for different reasons. Yeah. Well, if threes, for example, they they don't um, they don't mind big results, but they also get a lot of satisfaction from just getting positive results for their efforts, whether they're big or small, right? Hmm. An eight, on the other hand, generally likes big results and big impact, right? They're less concerned with smaller details and tasks and smaller items. You know, yeah. it's much bigger stuff. You know, they're definitely the second, definitely okay. the second. And Tony, my wife, Tony, who, you know, she will say if it's, you know, it's go big or go home or if anything's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. Uh, my backyard renovation is a good example of that, where we started this little project and now it's this huge thing and people walk in the backyard and they go, wow, it's like, well, anything's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So definitely big results would be my thing. I tend to be, as I get older, more grateful for the practical. And if it doesn't work and if you don't hit your target, you can find some dignity in that. But the unhealthy me would just be like, well, that was a complete failure. Why did we even try? Hmm. All right, last question for you. Um, are you someone who is, can, can accurately read what's require, required or expected of you in different situations and then you can adapt? Or do you, by nature, like to rebel and push against social norms? I tend to push against social norms and I need other people to read the room for me. So okay. I have relied for a long, long time right. on people um, Sarah Piercy, who's been on my team for over a decade, will go into meetings and she'll be like, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? And she goes, well, did you see how you just shot down that person's ideas and this person's ideas? And I'm like, okay, help me understand. And we just came off a, a Zoom call 
at lunch with our mutual friend, John Acuff and hundreds of people. I was supposed to be ready with the details. And I'm in the middle of the Zoom call going, oh, crap. Like, I was so focused on what I was going to say. I didn't pay attention to this. So I called my assistant, Carly, in, and I'm like, hey, Carly, I'm putting you on the spot. But, like, how do we how do we do this contest thing? I don't even know. So I put her on the spot. So I tend not to be. It's funny because if you screw up a detail, I will notice. Like, you burn out. You don't fix that burned out light bulb. I will notice. But, like, I don't worry about the details. Mm, okay. I think we got an answer. Yeah. When, when he said the last thing, you and I both kind of relaxed and like, yeah. oh, yeah, that, yeah. okay. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's like, it makes me want to, I wish that I had like a day with Carrie because it, it, and it just shows you it's, it's so much about motivation because in so many ways I'm experiencing you as like you present like a three. So that's just interesting. I'm glad we got I to talk like through that. I present like a three. Really? You guys think it's a three? No, no, no. no, no. We think it's. A, oh, we, we think, we think an you're an eight. We think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. But you, I'm just saying there was a lot of three energy in yeah. our last conversation. There were phrases mm. that you used. There were things that you said that were like textbook three. Yeah. It doesn't mean you are a three. It's just it came out. And and when I hear those things, I'm like, mm-hmm. gee, I wonder if I should, you know, kind of tease a little bit to see what's going on. You know, they're both aggressive types and, and, you know, uh, I hope what this does is help people realize how nuanced the Enneagram is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you really got to scratch a little bit beneath the paint to find out what's really going on. That's so healthy. So when I read your book and, and some other stuff on the Enneagram, but particularly the road back to you and when I've done my IE9, what, what I resonate most with, and again, this is decades of therapy, decades of prayer, decades of like work, hopefully growth and emotional in- intelligence. The unhealthy part of the three, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'd lie about it. I don't think I'd do this. I right. don't think I'd do that. The unhealthy part of the eight, like when you describe an unhealthy eight, I'm like, like I am the guy who would blow up his church. I'm the guy who would end up like in the ditch and I'd take, there'd be bodies everywhere, unregulated, unhealthy. And so what I've done is a whole lot of work to move out of that place of unhealth. But when I, you know, when I hear about moral failure, I hear about some leader who ran their, 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 their organization in the ditch. I'm like, Oh, I get that. I know Mm -hmm. how that happens. Now pray and hope that never happens to me uh, or with me or through me or because of me. But I, I identify with the unhealthy parts of the eight to a T. Great. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody. So you just heard a very brief typing interview with someone that we thought could either be a three or an eight. <laughs> we landed on an eight, but hopefully you, as I kind of went through those questions, mm-hmm. saw the kinds of things I was asking that might be helpful for you is maybe you help somebody try to figure out their type. If in fact, you, you know enough about the Enneagram that, that you could do it. Um, and, uh, so that for me is always exciting. So thanks, Kerry. Let's, let's, let's talk about the new book, man. At your best. Hey, yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, I, I, I read a good portion of it. It's wonderful. Tell everybody what it's about. And, and today's launch day of this brand new book. What, what's the core message of it that you are so excited for people to get? Well, in many ways, it's a really nice dovetail from where we just landed on the typing interview. It's, it's basically a roadmap to help people figure out how to live in a way today that will help them thrive tomorrow. It is not that hard for me to be unhealthy. Um, I, can, I can get overworked, overwhelmed, overcommitted. I can get into this stress state. I burned out 15 years ago. And when I get there, I can get very, very unhealthy. Mm. And so this book is really an attempt. It's, it's the way that I reconstructed my life after burning out. And I thought that was like a personal project for me. So I worked on that for about five years. Again, as we talked about already, lots of coaching, lots of counseling, lots of self-reflection. I'm like, can't burn out again. Don't want to do that. Too painful. Not going back. And then I started approaching time, energy, and priorities differently And it really started to work. Like I got healthier. Our marriage got better. I became a better parent. I was better at work. I was a better boss. And I'm like, oh, this is a neat little system. And then people started asking me, like, how are you getting so much done? I started sharing some of the principles. And then I realized, oh, this works for people. So actually, the At Your Best strategy is something that we finally put in book form so that hopefully we can get it into the hands of tens of thousands of of people. 
Wow. Um, so it's more so that. that's the the nutshell to it. All right, man. So there's a bunch of, you just mentioned one, you've got a, a stress cycle, you talk about a thrive cycle. So mm. cycle me through the cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm the stress spiral. The stress spiral is basically the default for how life operates today. And it's characterized by three states of being. If you feel overwhelmed, overworked, and overcommitted, which is the vast majority of people today, something like 70% of millennials and Gen Z said they've experienced some form of burnout in the last year. Um, people, people are just perpetually exhausted. Uh, there was a Deloitte study that came out that said 82% of senior executives leave the office or, or close their laptop every day, physically and emotionally depleted, exhausted. And then you're bringing that home with you, right? So it's that place. And, and the book really focuses on three things, time, energy, and priorities, because those are the three assets we have to steward, we have to handle every day. You have a certain amount of time, um, your energy, which not a lot of people pay attention to other than thinking, gosh, I'm tired, right? Your energy levels, they wax and wane over the course of the day. And then priorities, you have the things you want to do, and then the things you end up doing. And often the two lists don't match. So you put in 10 hours, you're tired at the end of the day, you look at everything you were supposed to get done and none of it got crossed off your list and 17 new things got added to your list. So in the stress spiral, the way you approach time, the way I used to approach time, the way many people approach time is we don't focus our time. We don't think about our energy, so we never, never leverage it. And then we allow other people to hijack our priorities. So that's the stress spiral. And on the other side of that, this system that, that I've sort of developed over the last 15 years, and again, learned from a lot of really smart people. It's not all unique to me, but um, is the thrive cycle. And that's where you focus your time, you start leveraging your energy, and you realize your priorities by living in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. And the heart of that is to figure out what you're best at and do it during your best hours of the day. So we can unpack that mm. if you want, but that's the, that's the overview. So as I understand it, you know, it, it sounds to me a little bit like, and you were just mentioning it, it's like, well, when you get up, this is a rule I have, when you get up in the morning, do what's hard first. And you know what I mean? Uh -huh. like, like that is a thing for me. Or do what I love most. You know, like, like mm. it's, because oftentimes, you know, there's often bleed over, but, but, you know, sometimes I do the hard stuff first because if I don't, it won't get done. And then as yes. time goes on in the day, you know, then I'll segue more into the things that I love that I have energy for. But if I don't start in the morning, like, let me give you an example of this. Before I have my first, I've learned this now. I used to sit down, drink a cup of coffee, read a book, right? Now, now what I do is I have my 20 minute meditation sit first hmm. because I know that if I get into it, I will not do the priority there, which is right. get my head on straight. It, I'll just wander off into madness, you know, and it'll, I'll get to the end of the day and I'll go, didn't do it. Or if I mm. don't start the day off with, you know, my creative reading and writing, it won't get done. You know, so I don't know if that fits into that, that cycle or not. The thrive cycle, I guess is. Like, it does. You know. um, I, actually, that's very similar to what I do. I start my day with prayer and scripture. And to me, that's become foundational, particularly even now as a guy in my fifties, you know, <clears throat> kids who have flown the coop and are out on their own, you tend to have a little more time, a little more control over your calendar. Uh, 20 years ago, that was 15 minutes. Now it's closer to an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. But it also involves reading. It involves reflecting. It involves planning the day. That's sort of the first hour. But, but the fundamental concept, and this would be fun to do because I, I don't know the answer to this question, and you guys can both play on this one. The theory is, and this is brain research and, and personal experience, that most of us actually only have three to five peak hours in a day. That neurologically, we're not robots. We're not wired to go, like if you're writing a book and you've got a new book coming out soon, you know that you can't write 17 hours a day. No. Even if you have a deadline, like, well, you can, you can produce trash if you want to write 17 hours a day. But, you know, most of us, if we're writers, it's like an hour to three hours a day of really intense writing and maybe a thousand words. That's a really good day. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cal Newport says when it comes to deep work, we have about four hours. So the clinical answer seems to be three to five hours. And the hours in which we are at our best vary. So I'm about 7 to 11 a.m. is my peak hours where 
You're in the flow. You're capable of producing your best work. Assuming you weren't out, out till 3 a.m. the night before, or the dog didn't wake you up or the baby didn't wake you up. You know, in the normal ebb and flow of life, there are repeating patterns. I'm curious, what would you guys say your peak hours of the day are? Because there's also night owls and a lot of people are midday people, afternoon people. I'm morning. I am definitely six to noon. Six till noon. Yeah, okay. Okay. So seven to 11 if we go by the four hour rule. But um, I would say I'm definitely a morning person. Six till noon. How about you, Anthony? That's, yeah. I, I, I used to, as a musician, late hours even into the early morning hours but uh after children it's same thing 6 30 to probably 11 30 something like yeah, that. yeah i became a morning person when i became a dad yep <laughs> it, it, it bumped up a little bit when i got married because yeah. in my final year of college i remember this the other day i'd forgotten about this i think my final year of undergrad i didn't take any classes that started before 11 a.m because i didn't want to get up and i wasn't sleeping well i was just doing a lousy job at life at that point but you know, I just, it was, it was so lazy. And now I'm generally up well before six, mm-hmm. sometimes between four and six, I generally don't set an alarm. But even if you're a night owl, you got three to five peak hours. And if you're an afternoon person, lots of people are midday people, you know, maybe it's 10 to two or one till four or something like that. So the thing is, do you eat the frog before breakfast? Cause that is really good advice. Some people would say once you get, so let's, let's take your, your meditation, your quiet time, whatever you want to call it, Put that aside. That's something I offer up to God as a person of faith in my own life. But when you're getting into work mode or life mode and you're moving beyond that, there are different theories. Some people are like, go crush your to-do list. Start with your inbox. Something like 56% of all people start their day with email. I don't know Mm -hmm. that that's your best thing because there is a very narrow gifting, a very narrow bandwidth where you are truly at your best. And it's kind of a Venn diagram of gifting how are you wired? What are you uniquely capable of bringing into the world? Passion, what generally over time fuels you? What do you enjoy doing? And impact. So, for example, as an author, Ian, I hope you wrote a good book. I'm sure you did. I've read your previous writing. It's fantastic, right? But you know that if you write a great book, things are going to go better for the cron universe down the road than they mm-hmm. would be if you wrote them not very good book. So you got to get that book done. And there's a big difference between you writing at 8am and you writing at 8pm. Like it's just you get 24 equals hours in the day, but not all hours feel equal or produce equally. So the idea, the theory is your energy surges for about three to five hours in a day. Take your most significant work, the work that moves your needle. So it could be if you're in sales, you know, doing sales. It could be if you're planning the next year's strategy that you need to sit down and do some really deep focus for three or four mornings or three or four afternoons for two to three hours where you think about, okay, what are we going to do in the next quarter? What are we going to do in the next four quarters? How are we going to better serve our customers, our clients? That kind of deep, uninterrupted thought is the best use of your green zone. And so we call, I call that your green zone. And then there's two other zones in the day. Your red zone is when you either need a nap, more caffeine, or a run around the block because mm-hmm. you can barely stay awake. For me, that's four to six. And then everything in between is your yellow zone. You're neither at your best nor struggling to stay awake or alive. Uh, leave your least significant work for your red zone. That's a good time for people like us to plow through email, to fill out that expense report, uh, to check the spreadsheets, to, you know, just do some routine, not very deep work or take a nap or go for a walk or go for a run. And then your yellow zone, that can be a time for important work, but stuff that isn't most critical. Your meetings. I do all of my, you know, I have a podcast like you with millions of downloads. I do all the interviews during my yellow zone because the prep, getting ready for a podcast actually determines the quality even more than the quality of the interview. Because if I'm not ready... I'm going to pay for that. So green, yellow, red, those are the three zones in the day. Do what you're best at when you're at your best in your green zone. Uh, your stuff that's moderately important in your yellow zone and the least important in your red zone. And that's what you call the energy clock, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and those, are, those are different for different people, the, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, we just uploaded that today on launch day, but the book's relatively interactive. So uh, when you buy a copy, you can go to At Your Best Today, download your personal energy clock. And then this it's the same thing. Actually, you know, when you think about typing me, I have given hours, days of thought to my Enneagram type. You're both specialists in this. 
Um, I think if you're a young leader, it might take you a month to figure out what your peak hours are because you haven't thought about it. If you're a little bit older, maybe you thought about it more and go, oh, yeah, definitely like 10 to 2 or 8 till noon or whatever. Um, but, but take your time, try to figure that out and you can adjust it over time. Also, life events will change. If you have another baby, <laughs> your green zone might get shorter <laughs> because you're more tired or it might get longer if you move or start a different job. Or um, you move to a different time zone and you never fully adjust. Mornings are not on the West Coast, what they used to be on the East Coast. So um, the whole idea is that this is a system that can work with you in the different seasons of life. And, you know, I started it when I had kids at home and then they went through university and now I'm an empty nester. And it seems to have held up through those three seasons and through different jobs, too. You know, I was a lead pastor of a church. Now I run a communications company, full time digital company. And um, these are things that scale and flex with you. Yeah. So I would say for me, just mm -hmm. thinking about it, um, I would say I am most spiritually attuned at six o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's the, mm -hmm. I would just say that that early hour to me mm -hmm. is the moment when I'm most spiritually awake, aware and hungry. I'm the same way, and after that first hour, it starts going south yeah. from there. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's okay, right? Yeah, right. So I, that's my, where my first hour is, yeah. right? And it's also a priority for me because I also know what it does for me the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. if, right. if, if, that, if I'm not grounded, yeah. you know, so I do my 12-step reading. Yeah. I do meditation. I read spiritual literature that, you know, is enriching and mm -hmm. exciting to me. Then I go to work, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say from 7 or 7.30 to 11.30, that's when I'm hot, mm -hmm. okay? My brain is fresh. I'm ready to go. I would say I'm so, I mean, I hate to say it I'm, as a four. I'm following a very traditional pattern here. Then between 11.30, let's say 3.30, mm -hmm. that's definitely my yellow zone. Yeah. You know, mm. uh, now I would say, and, and a lot of podcasts get done during that time. Um, however, I'm actually usually very prepared for interviews, like I really yeah. do the work. I, I don't come in flying by the seat of my pants. Right. You know, I've gotten some pages of notes and I, I read the stuff. And a lot of that times when those are the days, that's part of the green time. Right. And then mm -hmm. um, I, then the red time for me is late afternoon. That's when I go running. Uh, I love to walk late in the day. Uh, we've got a beautiful lake down the road from us and, and where I can walk and kind of just be a bit of a zoner, you know, um, and kind of clear my mind. I, but here's the thing, mm -hmm. Anthony, Carrie, I never work after 6 p.m. Good for you. And it's partly it's just I ain't got nothing left. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like I do, I do throw know myself into stuff, but after 6, I'm like, I ain't working. I say that to myself after 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's so good. You know, in my younger years, before I figured this stuff out, I would work at night. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you've got diminishing returns. Yeah. Like you're yeah. staring at a blinking cursor. Um, when, you're, when you're in your yellow zone, you can maybe empty your inbox in 10 minutes. You do that same thing when you're exhausted. It could take you an hour. That's like right. you're not helping anybody. Yeah. That's right. And you, yes. The other thing I, I would I say think, is, the other thing, Carrie, that I would say is, <clears throat> I'm also at night, the, that's the hour when I'm most emotionally thin. Mm -hmm. I don't make good decisions at night. You know, if, yes. if my son or my daughter or one of my daughters or my, you know, my wife says, I want to have this conversation with you. I'm usually like, can it wait until tomorrow? Because like, I just know that at night, mm -hmm. if I'm going to have an intense conversation, I'm just, I know I'm not at my best. Mm -hmm. I know. I know it could go sideways when, yeah. if I did it the next day in the morning or the afternoon. It wouldn't. I would say that mm -hmm. I do uh, the more creative work earlier in the day and the more mindless kind of edits during the yellow time right. you know yeah yeah right. but you know it's just a good use of your time zone yeah you sort of lost me at one point because you mentioned eating a frog in the morning and we haven't gotten back to that yet uh, <laughs> and do frogs is that like, a canadian like, aphorism i'm doing a canadian and do you think frogs taste like years chicken? ago eat your frogs before breakfast who said that <laughs> i don't know and i don't know what it means <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we went back there. I think what it means, gosh, this is when you're like saying something, you're like, oh, maybe I'm out of my depth. I don't know. What it, what it refers to, the way I understand it, is that's where you do the most difficult thing. So oh, if you've okay. got 72 unread emails, you eat the frog and do that. Okay. I would push back against that a little bit because I think it's better 
to do the things that most move the needle. Like mm-hmm. if you've got a mission, if you're, you know, writing a book, if you're planning that next quarter, if you're doing those things, what are the things? So I boiled things down to five things that I know in 25 years of leadership. If there's a clear and compelling vision, if I'm creating content that is connecting with people and serving people, if my team is aligned and they're getting along, if the culture is healthy, and if we have the money we need to do this for longer, like we don't have to be rich, but you know, we're not, we're not going bankrupt. We're not in financial trouble. Those five things for me as a senior leader for the last 25 years, if I get those five right, almost nothing else matters. Mm. And so I have focused my green zone on those things. Occasionally that means meetings, but usually that's solo work. That is the deep work of crafting. Okay, things are changing. Culture's changing. How does our strategy need to change to match what's going on in culture right now? Because what got you here won't get you there. It's that kind of work. And it's working on your business, not in your business. Mm. Working on your company, not in your company. And that's the stuff that always gets neglected because you're like, oh, well, we can just do the next quarter just like we did the last quarter. And of course, you know that over time, that's going to give you diminishing results. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff that, that is that chapter of the book. It's the next keynote because you've got a conference coming up in a month and you know you've got to get that right. Mm-hmm. It's a pivotal meeting that you've got to prep for. And if you don't get that done, David Allen from Getting Things Done would say, that creates an open loop in your head So when four o'clock comes around and you're walking down by the lake or you're going for a walk or a run, you're not actually able to relax because you're thinking, I didn't get that chapter. I didn't get that pocket. Mm -hmm. I've got it for that meeting. And by the way, I applaud putting your exercise in your red zone. Uh, That's what I did because a lot of people love to start the day with the workout. And if you need that to really get your energy going, go ahead. But what I found is is if I'm decently rested and I'm taking my nutrition semi-seriously, I'm actually fine to go without a workout until later in the afternoon, and then I get my body moving. Now, I think you could also, if you're working on really big ideas, sometimes getting your body moving moves your mind. So, I mean, if that's part of your creative flow, you can do it as part of your creative flow. If you're training for the Olympics or for pro sports, yeah, do that in your green zone when you're at your peak, but I'm not, right. I'm not in that category. I am. So. well you know one last thing because i i love this conversation um partly because some of it's affirming what i do but um Mm. also because it challenges some things that i do Mm -hmm. and and i think another thing that helps with time energy and priorities is learning the art of saying no yeah and i just had this happen today anthony a guy who a sweetheart a sweetheart called And said, hey, you know, I'm doing this project and I'm wondering if we could come next week and shoot a video of you for an hour talking about X. And, you know, he's making an audacious ask. And I just said, man, I would love to, but I just know that I can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I told a little bit about why. And uh, he kind of asked me to do it again under different terms. And I said, man, I, I hear you, but I really can't because... Um, I won't be able to do a good job for you or for myself. I'll just be too, too spread thin and it's just not going to work out. And you, I think you talk about this in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Is like the learning the art of saying no to people and you mm. actually learning how to say it nicely. And I think I did today. It was mm-hmm. like, man, what you're doing is really important, but it's just not mine to do right now. Or limiting those kinds of, because, because you literally talk about limiting certain kinds of, uh, areas that you give out your energy to once a month or so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, first of all, bravo. And that is a beautiful template, man. I value what you're doing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. However, I'm going to have to decline. I just don't think given my current commitments that, that I would be fully present. I wouldn't be well served. You wouldn't be well served. So mm-hmm. thank you. But no, yeah, that's, that's very fair. That's not like, no, that's not like I'm going to block your number. Um, and it's not rude and, and emotionally mature people understand that healthy people respect those boundaries. You yes. know, if I called you up, cause usually we work fairly well in advance 
And, you know, if I called you up and said, hey, Ian, what are you doing Friday? Can you be on my show? You might be like, well, Carrie, that's like 24 hours notice. Like, I'm not ready for that. And, you know, we'd, we'd hammer it out. But I think there's a rhythm to life. And what I, would, what I would say to that is that's the hardest part for me. I think I wrote that section of the book for me because in a perfect world, I'd love to say yes. I'd love to help you with that video shoot. I'd love to be on every podcast that asks. I'd love to do every event that requests me to do it, but I have limited time. I have limited energy. Mm -hmm. um, and I have some priorities that are really important. My marriage is important to me. Being a dad is important to me. You know, I'll give you a good example. It's launch day. I got a guy I really want to see young leader I've been building into who's up from California. And he said, what are we doing on launch day? And I, my calendar was free. I said, it might work out. Then my wife said, well, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but we're going down to Hamilton. We're going to hang out with our son and his girlfriend. and We're going to have dinner and our other son's going to zoom in from the other part of the country. And I'm like, well, mine made up. Like, mm. I got to go with my family. And if the meeting doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And I think I used to get trapped a lot with that. You know, blank space on your calendar is a trap. Mm. It looks like freedom, but it's really jail. It's just disguised as liberty. Mm. So a good example for any young parents out there, and you can relate to this having raised kids, right? Saturday used to be a blank space on my calendar. It was my day off. And then people ask me, hey, Carrie, what are you doing Saturday? I'm like, nothing. Good. Well, can you help me move or can you come to this party or whatever? And in my mind, I'm starting to die. In my heart, I'm starting to die because I'm like, well, that was supposed to be my day off. Right. I didn't say it was supposed to be on right. my day off. And how do I tell the guy who wants to shoot a video with me that that's my day off without being a jerk? Right. So what I do now with the Thrive Calendar, which comes with the book, is my Saturdays say family day. So when you ask me, what are you busy with? I'm like, oh, or what are you doing Saturday? I'll look at my... Um, calendar and i'm like oh ian i've got a commitment but thank you so much for asking and if they ask what it is it's like oh i got a commitment with my family mm -hmm. now again you know this healthy people don't ask you further questions right right and yep. uh if somebody's really pressing you going well is your family more important to you than i am you tell them yeah <laughs> they are yeah. they're really important i'm going to be with them yeah and um so you got to master the art of the clear no and then to your point anthony categorical decision-making. So mm -hmm. I used to be the king of breakfast meetings. And then when I discovered this green zone stuff, I realized that's not a good use of my green zone. Like mm -hmm. if I'm a content producer and my best hours are the morning, because you know how breakfast meetings work. You get up at five or five 30, you meet at the restaurant at seven. You think you're going to be done at eight. You're not done till eight 30. Mm -hmm. Then you go to a drive through and grab a coffee on the way back to the office. You get to the office, People start chit-chatting. You open up your inbox. You got all these unread emails. And next thing you know, it's 1030 and you're already tired. Yeah. There goes yep. my green zone. Yep. So I just have a thing where I don't do breakfast meetings anymore. In the word of a mutual friend, they're too expensive. It costs me too much. Mm. The opportunity cost is too much. So when someone asks me for a breakfast meeting, it's like, no. Or if somebody wants to pick your brain, which is like the weirdest emails you get, I just want to pick your brain. Like about what? Um, maybe you have one pick your brain slot a month and when it's filled, you're just like, well, September's full. I've got one in October. You don't have to tell them that you're not doing pick your brain sessions every week or you just have things that you just decide I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do this. So when I led a church, mm. I decided as our church grew past the thousand mark, I'm not doing weddings anymore. And that sounds terrible. We had a system for weddings. But what that would mean for me is almost every Saturday I was away from my family and my kids were at home at the time. And I had exceptions if you were my niece or nephew or if you worked for me, you were my assistant, I'd do your wedding. And people would say, well, that's not fair. Well, then become my assistant and I'll do your wedding. So right. you have rules like that. <laughs> Carrie Newhoff, author of the new book, At Your Best, launched today. I just encourage everybody to get it, At Your Best, available now by my friend Carrie Newhoff on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. Carrie, thanks for being on Typology, friend. Oh, this was fun. And, you know, interesting to know I'm still an eight. You, you are almost still an eight. I was going to have to, like, re-examine all of that. So, fascinating. Well, <laughs> Anthony? Yes. Remember these words, brother, for you and to all of our friends. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. <laughs>